Welcome to The Skin Reel, your guide to all things skincare, skin health, beauty, and more, curated by dermatologists and true skin experts. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Alice Mina. I'm a double board certified dermatologist and dermatologic surgeon with over a decade of clinical experience. If you're looking for real, practical, unhyped skincare guidance and expertise, or you just think the skin is really cool, then you're in the right spot. I'm so glad you've tuned in to The Skin Reel. Now let's dive in because this is how dermatologists talk skin. Hi, skin friends. While my mom, Dr. Mina, is a board-certified dermatologist, she is not your dermatologist. The topics and opinions in this podcast are for educational and entertainment purposes only and are not intended for personal medical advice. Please consult with your own dermatologist or medical specialist before making any medical decisions concerning your health. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on this week's episode of The Skin Reel. This week, we are going to be talking all about scarring and wound healing. And to help me out, I have my good friend and colleague, Dr. Jennifer Powers. Dr. Powers is a board-certified dermatologist and fellowship-trained Mohs surgeon. She graduated magna cum laude from Harvard College and then went on to medical school at Vanderbilt, which is where I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Powers and becoming good friends and colleagues. She then completed her dermatology residency at Boston University, where she was selected as chief resident during her final year. She has been on the clinical faculty at a number of top universities, including Vanderbilt, Duke, and most recently, the University of Iowa. Just this past year, she completed her fellowship in Mohs Micrographic Surgery, and she now practices dermatology and Mohs surgery in Tennessee and Iowa. I'm so thrilled to have my good friend and colleague, Dr. Powers, joining us today to help us understand the complex and sometimes frustrating world of scarring and wound healing. Let's get started. So Dr. Powers, I've already introduced you a little bit, but can you tell us about yourself in your own words? Well, thanks again for asking me to join. It's great to be here. I have been interested in scars and wound healing really since I started in dermatology. And like you, I traveled a bit through my career to get my training. So I've spent time in Boston and Nashville, and then most recently at the University of Iowa. In doing so, I feel like I've also been exposed to a lot of different people in dermatology and have had a lot of opportunities to work both on the clinical side seeing patients and treating people with skin problems, but also getting to do research and helping to move our field forward. Yeah. And, you know, you just added to your list of credentials by completing a fellowship in Mohs Micrographic Surgery. So now you can add surgeon to your list of accomplishments. It's true. It's a hat that Dr. Mina has worn for quite some time, but I'm happy to have added that skill set. It stemmed from my real interest in wound healing and scarring, which I've taken care of in the form of chronic leg wounds, 
and other sort of poorly healing wounds that come to our dermatology clinics. And now I'm actually also getting to see what we call acute wound healing, which is like you go out and you scrape your knee and how does your body heal up that little wound that forms? My kids seem to be getting them all the time. So I think I cleared out my Band-Aid supply this weekend pretty quickly. So Absolutely. Well, you know, of course, we all know that Band-Aids cure all for little kids, but can you, Dr. Powers, just start with the basics for us? What is a scar? It represents a different form of tissue underneath the skin than what we have from birth. Anytime that you go out and you injure your skin, if that injury is deep enough, the way that the bricks get relayed to form that wall of the house, so to speak, they're not exactly like they are from birth. They're often tougher. They're often thicker. And we all know this, right? Because we all know how to look at scars, whether or not we have an MD behind our name or not. They're often lighter. They can be darker than the surrounding skin. And what that represents at a very deep level is that the collagen fibers are different than what you would see in normal skin. It sounds like there is a difference between what we would call an acute scar And I imagine the corollary to that is a chronic scar. Exactly. So, you know, we use these terms in the medical world quite a bit. Acute is something that happens, you know, within kind of a week's time frame, whereas chronic is something like three months or more. And sometimes even we know scars can stay with us for a lifetime. So sometimes those scars are even years old. And a lot of what we do on the clinical side is actually just educating our patients to recognize that scars are a process because we often think of them in snapshots, but really we can't actually watch time lapse in front of our faces when it's on our own skin. And so when when our patients come back after, let's say we've taken off a basal cell skin cancer and they want to know how their scar looks and how it's going to look six months from now, we often say, you know, this is very early in the lifetime of a scar. And if we give this scar time, it really will look great. A lot of our counseling has to do with getting the right mindset about how scars are and what the difference is between an early scar and a late scar. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it feels like time flies, except when You've got a scar on your face that you look at every day in the mirror. Sometimes it can feel like an eternity watching that scar sort of go through the natural processes that it needs to. So how and why do scars occur? Well, that is a great question. And it's certainly the focus of a lot of research inquiries because, of course, you know, the holy grail is to find a way for us to have scarless healing. We all know the legend of the starfish, and we all know that there are certain animals in nature who can actually be wounded and not form repaired material type that's different from the existing. And we even as humans do have that ability before we are born. So in utero, you can have scars that really are not clinically recognizable. But 
when we go through childhood and then adulthood, the sort of biochemistry that is behind the scarring process is really quite different. Because of that, we are not able to scar in the sort of scarless format. And as we sometimes get older and more adult-like, those scars become even bigger and more recognizable, thus really vexing patients because they would prefer to heal like starfish. Or a fetus. Exactly. And actually, too, the human mucosa is another source of a very protected type of healing with less scarring potential. So in layman's terms, mucosa are these soft, wet areas of the body, like the inside of the mouth, the genitalia, and those areas actually can heal quite well also. Yeah, I, I a lot of times will talk to my patients, you know, they're nervous about a spot on the lip and I'll tell them, hey, this is actually one of the best spots to have it because the lip heals so beautifully and, and a lot of times with very minimal scarring. And you can think about this too, it, when you burn your mouth eating something or bite your tongue or bite your cheek, it does heal so nicely in those locations. Right. And, you know, I think as physicians, we always are trying to sort of harness the innate powers of the human body. And, you know, when we operate on the human mouth, we are able to do that. And it would be awesome if we could use those same principles when we're cutting things off the back or the arm, which is really why this is such an interesting area of research. It sounds like scarring does vary based on anatomical or body location. Is that right? Absolutely. And, you know, again, I think you know this really well, too, that to take good care of patients, we often have to give them a real sense of expectation. And when we can identify areas that are going to heal in a more difficult manner, we sometimes are able to then compensate with certain approaches that we'll talk about later, or just letting people know helps them to anticipate what the course will be. And so I often will warn women that areas on the chest are going to potentially heal with thicker scars. Additionally, a lot of male patients, especially those with more musculature on the back, they may also form really thick scars, particularly if it's like a large melanoma removal from the back where we're going very deep. Really anywhere on the body where there is a lot of movement becomes an issue and what we can talk about strategies to mitigate that. And then also the lower legs, because anywhere that is in a less privileged area from a vascular standpoint is going to heal more poorly. And that can be complicated if there are other disease processes at play, like diabetes or a vascular disease. And so while Dr. Mina and I may not be sharing all of this with you uh, in a visit, there really are a lot of factors and considerations that we are planning for and thinking about to make sure that our patients have the best outcomes. How come some injury seems to cause a scar on the skin that you will notice for years or for your whole life, and other injuries tend to sort of fade? 
I will say that in part, it can be something to do with depth of injury. So if you get a hairline scar on your arm, that may heal relatively quickly versus a gash that goes through the epidermis and through the dermis, you know, into deeper layers of the skin. But that's not the only factor. Sun exposure can be pretty influential. So if you're injured in an area that is sun exposed, like the face or the arm, that area can become a lot darker. And that can also contribute to a a less ideal looking scar. When we have patients for surgery, a lot of times they will ask me, is this going to leave a scar? My answer is anytime we cut the skin with a scalpel, there will be a scar. But as dermatologic surgeons, our goal is to make the scar minimal and to hide it as best we can, which really becomes an art form. But it's true. Anytime you do cut the skin with a scalpel deep enough, there will be a a corresponding scar. Well, and there's also a lot of genetic variability. So while some of these trends, I think, hold across people of different ages and genders, sometimes there are just some folks who will keloid more easily. It's often something that we like to ask patients. Do people in your family scar or form these really thick scars called keloids? And if they do, there might be certain instances where we might select a laser or another modality for treatment if surgery can be avoided. Because in those folks, the healing process can be more complicated. Yes, absolutely. Genetics definitely plays a role and it's not something that's been, you know, fully understood, but I think as physicians and surgeons who treat patients day in and day out, we certainly see this that, you know, some patients heal beautifully, others do everything right and still are left with a thicker scar. Tell us more about keloids. I think most people have probably heard that term, but maybe don't fully understand What is a keloid and perhaps how is it different from a scar that we would call a hypertrophic scar or a thickened scar? Yeah. And I have to admit, I had never heard of a keloid before I went to medical school. It's something that if you are a dermatologist, it really is bread and butter of what we are confronted with on an almost daily basis. There are, you know, certain types of scars that will actually grow bigger than the initial size of the wound. So they can be wider, they can be longer, and they can be uh, higher than the initial wound versus a hypertrophic scar, which really may be a little bit thicker, but it's still kind of within the outline of the original injury. Either way, I find that patients of both types often do seek care in our clinics because these scars can be particularly painful. They can actually cause a lot of itching and cause a lot of discomfort for the patients, not to mention sort of the psychosocial problems that they cause. Imagine that you're a young teenager and you do something as simple as wanting to get your ears pierced. Six months later, you have scars the sizes of marbles behind your earlobes. 
And that's something that we as dermatologists can recognize quite easily. But, you know, it is a real game changer for folks. And so there are a lot of different ways that we can treat that in the clinic. And it's just really important that doctors of all types recognize their formation because those patients have to sometimes be handled differently at the time of any new surgery or any new injury to the skin. Sometimes we'll do injections of certain medicines or steroids to help modulate that healing and prevent keloid formation in the future. Are there certain patients who have a propensity to develop keloids or genetic factors at play with keloids? So there definitely are genetics and you'll hear patients tell you that, oh yes, you know, my mom or dad had keloids, my siblings get keloids. And there certainly are people, Afro-Caribbean, African-American, Asian descent, who present with keloids more frequently, but I've seen them in all skin types. So people with all different skin tones and skin types can present with them. I always find it so interesting how someone will come in with perhaps a keloid on the ear and they've got four piercings and two of them became keloids and the other two are just fine. It's so interesting how one injury can cause a keloid and the other won't. And we don't fully understand why and how that works just yet. That's so true because both doctors and patients alike are frustrated by that and it's perplexing. But I think the key thing to know for anybody listening is just that time with keloids can really matter. You know, if you think that you're forming one of those types of scars that's getting bigger, getting help earlier can sometimes be more beneficial because they are often easier to treat when they're in process than when they're completely formed. Absolutely. Now, can scarring differ in patients of different skin types? It's really important for dermatologists to learn to recognize scars across different skin tones. And that's because certainly in a very lighter skin tone, what we might call in derm speak, like a type one through three, those patients are often presenting with pink to violet scars initially. And then over time, that color will fade and eventually those scars are often hypopigmented. Again, that depends on body area and if that area is exposed to sunlight. Whereas I would say in general, in patients with darker skin tones, those scars may present with a more violaceous or even brown or darker look to it. And that then that could be perhaps mislabeled or not properly recognized. And sometimes the scars are the same color but just slightly raised and may even look like a lipoma or a cyst. And really, it's just a leftover keloid. So, you know, there are times when these scars and keloids can almost be like a diagnostic dilemma. Are there any ways to minimize or mitigate scar formation? And in particular, any creams or products that you recommend to your patients? If it's an acute wound, 
a scar that's really early in the process, we usually emphasize prevention. And that often involves good moisture retentive wound care, meaning if you have a new wound on the face, we want you to keep petroleum jelly or something very ooey gooey with a bandage while that area is still in its initial phases of healing. And that's because moist wounds heal faster than dry wounds. And so that principle really dictates a lot of our early wound care, especially with our skin cancer patients. We also really emphasize sunscreen. And so at least a 30 or 40 SPF broad spectrum worn daily over any newly scarred area, at least for the first six months. And again, taking this back to our Mohs clinic, this is something that's paramount for anyone with a Mohs wound on, let's say, the forehead or the nose, because those areas can darken pretty easily. And especially in places like Atlanta and Nashville, where there's a lot of ambient sunlight, uh, sun protection cannot be overemphasized. I feel like I want to make a, a t-shirt or have a sign on my shirt that says, don't let your scar, don't let your wound air out. That is an old wives tale. And we always recommend putting petrolatum, Vaseline, something occlusive on top of your scar until it heals over. And that will definitely lead to a better scar result than letting a big scab form that eventually falls off. Right. In the past, there was a time when dry wounds were very in vogue. We really emphasize with our patients, as you do, that it's so critical. And, you know, there were experiments done in the 1960s where they looked at blisters and whether those blistered areas healed faster if the blisters were left unbroken. And they did find that. And so it goes sometimes against common sense, but Vaseline and sunscreen are definitely our first two that we emphasize. I think beyond that, there are a lot of entities that are of interest one that I sometimes will talk to patients about is tretinoin cream. So there there has been some literature out there that shows that a vitamin A derivative, and it's a prescription called tretinoin, one that is FDA approved for treatment of acne and also helps with wrinkles, may also have an effect on scars. So that's one thing that can be discussed if a patient's having a difficult course with their healing. Then the other sort of gold standard addition is the use of silicone sheeting. And so silicone sheets can be purchased over the counter. They look a lot like Band-Aids, but bigger, and they help to stabilize the mechanical forces over a, a scarred area in order to improve the appearance of the scar. And that, again, really applies more to acute wounds. Let's say six weeks out from, let's say, an excision on the back, if the scar is really bothering somebody, they can look for those silicone sheets and apply those to the area for a couple weeks to a couple months. 
What are your thoughts on the silicone gel that people rub on? Does that have the same benefit as the silicone sheets? I do think the data suggests the sheets are better, but I haven't recommended the gel as much anecdotally. So I'd be curious about your experience on that one. I find that if you are going to use silicone, you really need to use the sheet to get the best improvement in your scar. One thing that I recommend for my patients with their scars, after about four to six weeks, if the scar is a little bit thicker, I will also encourage massage. And that can be as simple as running your hand on top of it back and forth, or if there's a small little area that's raised, making little circles with your finger and doing that several times a day for a few weeks. And that seems to help the scar remodel and soften up and flatten out faster. Yeah, no, we definitely recommend that as well. And that's nice because it has the added benefit of essentially being free, except for time. Exactly. All right. Well, this has been great talking to you about scarring and wound healing. Before we leave, can you give us maybe your top three tips to optimize wound healing and scarring for our listeners? I would just, again, go back to our number one favorite tip, which is if you have a new scar, make sure you protect it from the sun. And that can be either with sunscreen, with a bandage, or just keeping the area covered by clothing. The second tip in terms of helping newer scars would be keeping the area moist. If it is a a newer scar, and that would be following up with that petroleum jelly and bandaging it if the petroleum jelly is drying out. The third tip would just be to seek care early because scars have a long lifetime. And so having a dermatologist who's board certified or a Mohs surgeon help you with wounds and scars early will just give you more options. We don't even have the time we need to discuss all the potential things we can do, including lasers and injections and other things. So there's a lot that can be done in our offices. So don't be afraid to give us a call. Thank you so much, Dr. Powers. We will definitely have to have you back on to talk about all those other modalities and fun stuff that can be done to help with scars once they are there. I really appreciate your time. Can you tell our listeners where they can get a hold of you? My offices currently are in Nashville and Iowa City. I am practicing with Pinnacle Dermatology in the Nashville area, and I am also affiliated with the University of Iowa in Iowa City, Iowa, so patients can find me there. No problem. We'll put that in the show notes, and we really appreciate you being here, Dr. Powers. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to The Skin Reel. I hope it's been informative, educational, and perhaps a little entertaining. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe and share with a friend. Don't want to stop your learning just yet? Head on over to theskinreel.com for show notes, blog posts, and so much more. Until next time, skin friends.